you're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast. Why, yes, I don't have a voice left. Uh, it turns out that catching a little bit of a cold in Nashville and then still doing a ton of shows is not great for the pipes. Uh, but that's okay. I still have uh, four shows in Chicago, two tonight in downtown Chicago, uh, today being Friday the 14th, and then tomorrow in Rosemont on the 15th of December. And then uh, and then January, by the way, <laughs> I love the squeaky parts. <laughs> it makes me sound adorable. It, when I have this voice, then I start singing uh, Kim Karn songs like, She's got Betty Davis I No, this would be perfect for Tom Waits. Oh, you gotta hold on. We gotta hold on. It's perfect. When I get a cold is when I start doing Tom Waits karaoke. Uh, but I'll be in January at the Comedy Attic in Bloomington, Indiana on the 17th, 18th, and 19th. And, uh, yeah, just look for Comedy Attic in, Blo- in Bloomington. If you live in Bloomington, you probably can figure out how to find their ticketing site. But come out to those shows. Those will be really fun. Um, I would like to thank Carbonite for sponsoring this episode of the Nerdist Podcast. Back your shit up. Wow, I, I just hate myself so much for saying it that way. Yes, Chloe. Oh, you're just dancing. She's backing that ass up. Uh, with Carbonite. But seriously, you will lose your stuff at some point. Your hardware will fail. So Carbonite keeps all of your stuff securely online. Then you can access your stuff from any computer. You just need an account. It's super simple. Plans start at just $59 a year. Believe me, you don't want to lose your data. You, you can lose any hardware piece of anything and replace it, but you cannot replace your information and your files. Uh, so please, please, please don't, don't, don't do what I have done in the past. Not recently, but in the past, when I was younger. Uh, so go to Carbonite.com, use the offer code NERDIST, and get two bonus months uh, when you purchase. So there you go, Carbonite.com, offer code NERDIST. This episode is uh, Mr. John Hodgman, whom I adore. Jesus Christ, Chris, how come you say everyone's really awesome all the time? Because I meet a lot of awesome people, Internet. And John Hodgman is one of those people. He helped me out with the Comedy Central pilot. Uh, He's someone that I love talking to whenever I get a chance to hang out with him. I always feel like, why the fuck don't I hang out with this guy more? He's 
so fucking funny and articulate and lovely. And um, you should check out all things John Hodgman whenever you can. And uh, this was a fun sit-down chat that we did in the dressing room before we worked on the pilot. So here we go. And there's podcast number 296 with the lovely-tastic John Hodgman. Sir John Hodgman. I've just knighted him. It's a weird... It's a weird backdoor into the royal court. I don't even know their fucking terminology. Sir John Hodgman. Now entering Nerdist.com. Katie, by the way, Katie uh, produces produces almost all of our podcasts. I don't know how she does it. I don't know how you do it, Katie. How do you do it? I don't sleep. Something to do with these. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> buttons and knobs. Yeah, I and know. you don't. Switches, lights, and knobs. Mm. You don't. You don't sleep, do you, Chris? No, I don't. I have one of those um, uh, inversion tables, and I hang upside down like a bat. And then I don't let anyone get too close to me. I'll wide open the entire yeah. night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I wake sleep. So is that such a is that a thing or is that a thing you just made up? Doesn't that sound like a thing that it like someone like, a thing that like someone at the learning say. annex? Yeah. Like, do you realize you waste eight hours a day sleeping now <laughs> with wake sleeping? Learn to wake sleep simply by hanging upside down. <laughs> That's it. Because if you can get yeah, the blood to pool in your brain, Look. keeps you wide awake. Not that not that you need any tips on entrepreneurialism. <laughs> But if you wanted to make another ten million dollars, <laughs> you would sleeping. you would release a series of video cassettes on the subject cassettes, of wake video cassettes. Oh yeah, and audio cassettes. Well, that's what you know. All the hipsters are using VHS now. <laughs> that's right, because the quality is yeah. really good. The quality, yeah. You can't get. I mean, you can't get the warmth. <laughs> nope. From a DVD that you can get the warmth of a of a of a twenty five year old video cassette I'm, of Goonies. I'm tired of looking at things crystal clear. And instantaneously, I totally. I want to be able to rifle through something and kind of miss the exact spot that I wanted to get to. I miss going to a store. Do you know what I mean? Yep. I miss going to a video cassette store. I miss going to a video cassette store and trying to uh, ascertain through some sort of mental astrology uh, which movies uh, have the highest. Uh, masturbation factor based on the box and the cast. Exactly. That's the thing. It's like, you know, everyone's so happy about downloading or whatever. <laughs> Boring. What about the days of going to a store and having to interact with a socially marginal person who hated you <laughs> so that you could find out the thing you wanted wasn't there and then you were forced to watch something you didn't like? I know. I, it's the that's g- how you discovered all those terrible movies, right? That's right. That's right. That's, that's how I saw Night of the Comet. Uh, Night of the Comet, an apocalyptic movie. <laughs> an apocalyptic film starring right. uh, Catherine Mary Stewart. Because all teenagers dream that all adults will die and leave them everything. Yes. To their own, leave them entire cities to their own pleasure. That is why Barack Obama was elected president. <laughs> wow, you just took that a whole extra step. Because because <laughs> young people today just want to take from the people who made stuff before. That's right. My, and I think that's the basic message of Night of the Comet, which I think was directed by Nostradamus. Yes. Um, but Night of the Comet was basically crappy 80s Omega Man. Not that Omega Man was such a phenomenal movie, but it had its value, 
I think. Oh, well, you know, Omega Man is a strange film. Yeah, and, yes. Do you know what I mean? Because in the original Richard Matheson story, it is something happens that turns the entire population into vampires. Right. And I'm talking about actual, you know, Nosferatus. Right. Bloodsuckers. Mm-hmm. With bald heads. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Never going to sell. Max Shrek types. <laughs> <laughs> but Omega Man flipped it. And they said, uh, it's not that they turn into vampires. Uh, the, the disease turns everyone into pale dudes in white makeup right. that are a new age cult. Right. They have full possession of their faculties. They're fine. I don't think that they want to. The main thing is that they're all wearing makeup now. There just wasn't there wasn't much of a downside really to no, the apocalypse was, in that in that case. Yeah, it was just everyone everyone had to wear black and everyone was got to be a little guy. Everyone makeup. got to be the cure. Yeah, exa- exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it turned it turned the entire population of the earth into into goths. <laughs> and I remember watching it finally because I had, I, had, I had only seen bits and pieces of it and read about it. And finally I watched it. I'm like, I don't get what everyone is so upset about. What are they going to do to this guy? Make him, you know, like spray him down with white makeup? I guess he just, well, you put can't. Put some mayonnaise on his face? Don't put white makeup mayonnaise? on Charlton Heston. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, no makeup goes on this face. Uh, my, my makeup kit is cigarette ash. And then they made I Am Legend with Will Smith. Yes. And again, it's not vampires no they're not bloodsuckers they're sort they're just of crazy maniacs crazy maniacs kind of mutanty some zombie semi-fast zo- semi-zombies can't go in the sun though so there's right. kind oh, of they're sort that, of vampires yeah, yeah. Zombies. there was that va- they're vampire they're sort of vampires you know why they couldn't use vampires why the vampires aren't popular <laughs> they no one will pay no to see. why why would how could you possibly sell a movie in which the entire Earth is turned into blood-sucking Nosferatu. I don't believe it. It's just, it's not, it's not. Just, that's not what kids want, obviously. No, no one's going to make it. What was the, uh, oh, I, I'm just having a total brain fart. The the Connery movie from the 70s. The, uh, Zardoz? Zardoz, yes. I'm going to tell you something right now, Chris Hardwick. <laughs> Let's talk about Zardoz for a minute. <laughs> I worked in a video store, which meant my whole job was watching terrible movies. Mm-hmm. Because I was a young person mm-hmm. and thought that I was immortal and sure. therefore could waste all the time I wanted in my life. Time was meaningless. And I was working in a store where the whole point of the job was to waste time watching terrible movies during the day because no one would ever come in during the day to rent a movie. Except for me to figure out which uh, movies for, I could throw into the spank Except bank. for masturbators. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Ma- excuse me, masturbatists. <laughs> well, there's a schism. There's an art form. There's a schism between the two schools. Masturbators are dirty. Baiters and, and, and baitists. <laughs> masturbatists, artistic. Well, I would say, you know, it's just, it's just not all about the orgasm. No. Do you know what I mean? No. It's also about the form. Mm-hmm. It's about the date that you set up for yourself. <laughs> Where do you go? This, it's about it's it's the art of seduction. It's the art of self seduction, basically. It's the art of uh, holding on to uh, an ice cold glass to make my hand feel like someone else's. Was that too much insight, uh, Katie? It was too much, and yet not surprising. <laughs> an ice Poor cold Katie. glass. <laughs> I thought. Now look, I thought that the art. Well, I don't. I thought it was supposed to sit on your hand until you lose feeling in your hand. <laughs> well, that's what the pioneers did before they had refrigeration techniques. <laughs> that's how the Amish still do it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. You're, I mean, no. Okay. Masturbating with a cold hand, that is proud English. <laughs> that is, oh, all right, your highness. Yeah. 
But how do you, here's you, a, but how I did you freeze that water, you what witch? I, what I, that, first of all, that was that was record time for a masturbation digression. Congratulations. <laughs> no, it wasn't actually, unfortunately. Oh, no, really? Yeah, oh, well, at least in, in our conversations. Okay, good, good. Um, and, and very welcome. But in any case, I so I worked in a movie theater as a, as a youth, and when I when I had no when I had no sh- no girlfriend or anything. Okay. So I was there is no one who is more primed to watch Zardoz than me, a nerd working in a movie theater with no social contacts, right. And all the time in the world, who was immortal and therefore could could watch it's it. Connery, but I it's, still it's, have not it's, seen it. It's I've never kind seen of sci fi ish. It's uh, there's a there's a lot of penis. Talk is it John Borman who directed that movie? Um, I that actually sounds right. Let's say that. No, 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 no. no don't pick up that up. device. Okay, I'm sorry. This is a this is a non search engine conversation. I appreciate that. And are I you, also are you prepared for it? I am prepared for it because I feel like if there's one thing the internet's really good at, it's making strong, uh, iron, uh, iron uh, airtight cases with little to no information, for real. Right. So let's just say that that Borman did direct Zardoz. Exactly. I am not going to offshore my memory today. I'm going to absolutely count on. <laughs> the vague memory I have, and there will still be someone in the comment thread who's like, "Um, it was actually," and it, like, not. Yeah, what if it were John Borman? The, even if it were John Borman, even if we're act- absolutely right, yep. there would have been someone in the comment thread saying we are totally wrong, <laughs> and what is wrong with us? Of course, because in the alternate, in Earth Two version of this conversation, yeah, it was uh, Terrence Malick. Let's say Terrence Malick directed right. Zardoz in that world. I think it was John Borman who directed Zardoz, and. I don't care to find out, honestly, one way or the other, because I've seen the photo. <laughs> I've seen the photo of Sean Connery wearing his Frank Frazetta red thong outfit with the gun. It's and it's so uh, and I was able to take that photo and put it in my book with the caption: "In the future, after the apocalypse, all mustaches will be mandatory." It's sort of like and that's all I needed from that. It's movie. kind of like Man Barbarella, so it's like Barbarello. Right, <laughs> <laughs> with without so much of the kitsch factor to it, it was just yeah. There was that period of the seventies where they're like, "Ah, eh, fuck it, let's just try anything," right? You know, and right. it wasn't really. I think the problem with this shoot is that we're not all high and fucked up enough. <laughs> you know, I was because thinking that this is not uh, this is not the Zardoz I envision. <laughs> Because a lot of this, a lot of this plot is making sense, and is a, is and is a pleasure to look at. So, I, can we please get uh, some better drugs in here? I read the four-page script, and I I am expecting way better, yeah, than what is actually being committed. But here's something that you that you may not know: mm-hmm. the four-page script wasn't even a script. Oh, it it was it was a it was um a, a, a cut up. Bits and pieces of a Ralph Bakshi movie <laughs> played backwards, but you, but you could only watch it when you were sitting there listening to an Anthony Braxton album and feeling a carpet sample. Okay, so that was how they made movies at that time. That, you just had to feel involved. it. That's very. That's a very analog way to do everything. Yeah. Every what 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 was the Bakshi movie? Was it Fritz or Wizards or uh, Coonskin? Okay, that's the name of that movie, right? Sure. Isn't it? Isn't it Coonskin? I can't. The, the con- well, we can't look it up. Nope. It, it's Coonskin then. There is there is a controversial Ralph Bakshi movie that was I don't know that's ever been released, but there are bits of it on YouTube. It has to have been released if there are bits of it on YouTube. So on on video or on, someone on video someone cassette. had it. That was very controversial because it was essentially a rabbit in blackface. Was the hero? I wonder why that would cause a stir. <laughs> 
<laughs> and it was called Coonskin. Uh, you know, it's funny. I guess. <laughs> Jesus Let Christ. me ask you this question really That's quickly. Awful. That's a true thing. First of all, it's me, John Hodgman. I'm here talking to Chris Hardwick, who's part nope, of the Nerdist podcast. Not at all. I this just is... rushed over. I just rushed over through through the apocalyptic rain <laughs> that is besieging Los Angeles at this time. By apocalyptic, I mean it is drizzling slightly. There are a couple and people, of and people are murdering themselves. There are a couple of fat drops that have yeah. fallen down, and but then that that's about it. But this is what I saw on my way over: fat drops landing on people's shoulders, like coloring their shoulders, looking at it. Then they would just walk into their apartments and open their veins because they figured this, <laughs> That's is, right. the, this is the end of time. So it was cars sort of, screeching off the highway. It was sort of like um, the happening. Yes, exactly so. People I mean, putting ice picks in their eyes. No, I mean people killing themselves in the theater while watching the happening. Oh, I've never seen that movie well, either. You're okay then. Well, see, the thing is that I've grown, you know, I've grown older, and uh, and un- unlike you, I have human children. What? Yeah. How many of these? I have two human children. Human children? Yeah. Did you grow them yourself? I, I, I had help. Okay. Yes. I, uh, I, found, a, I found a surrogate womb. <laughs> Just in the produce section? I was sifting through. You could oh. grow a baby in a cabbage, right? If you fuck a cabbage, a baby happens. Y- yes. <laughs> the Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes. That's where Xavier Roberts fucked a cabbage. Yes, and and it got hard when the cabbage patch kids got popular because he was it like it would have had to get harder, else it wouldn't have worked. Yes, he yeah. he fucked, he had to be like I mean hundreds of cabbages a day to produce these these children. Yes, absolutely, and they all and they all had to be refrigerated. I mean, the, he basically would have looked like a Skeksis in a lawnmower man suit, <laughs> like and they were just pumping fluid out of his body to, to fertilize these cap these innocent cabbages. <laughs> I, I take that reference as revenge for my Anthony Braxton in a carpet sample. Like you're just like, I'm, you, oh really? Now you're brushing me back, aren't you? To use a to use a bases ball metaphor, you're brushing me back. I get out. You were like, John no, Hodgman. you were like, you were like, oh really? Anthony Braxton in a carpet sample. Guess what? Here comes Skeksis in a lawnmower man suit. Wow. You know what? I what? I back off the plate, sir. <laughs> no. There's room for two at this table. There's room that for was, two. That was amazing. <laughs> I have, I'm still stuck on this Ralph Bakshi movie, Coonskin, that I don't have any recollection of whatsoever. It's pretty esoteric. It's, es- it's not... Uh, it's not uh, it's obviously not Lord of the Rings. It's not Fritz <laughs> the Cat. That's funny. It's that- not... What's, the, what's this, the city city one? Uh, hot city. City streets means... American mean, streets. Mean streets, American, 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 American pop. American, um, there's American pop, American but it's pop. not that, but there's, yeah. ano- that there's was, another one. Heavy Traffic. That Heavy was, Traffic was American also. Pop, was was that Don Bluth? Um, I think that well, we, Let's say what? it is. Fuck uh, it. It wasn't. That's but. funny. It's funny that, uh, it's funny that Bakshi, <laughs> like after Fritz the Cat, was like, you know what? I think I can go a little more racist. <laughs> oh, I think, yeah, I'm not sure which came first. Uh, but Bakshi was uh, Bakshi was of that world, uh, uh, like our crumb, right? Where they were they were using incredibly, sort of. Now I'm not going to say racist because I don't know what was in their hearts mm-hmm. or is in their hearts. I should say because they have not yet died and the world has not ended. Um, but uh, they were using very old and offensive racial caricature, sure, to be provocative, sure, in a, in an interesting way. To, to people who were stoned in the 70s, I think. That's right. What, that's I what both R. Crumb and Bakshi That's were always doing. the parenthetical, though, to people who were stoned in the 70s. That's Zardoz, yes. that's all of it. It was basically dr- it was basically drug-fueled content for drug-fueled audiences, 
And I guess because everyone was on the same page, it worked somehow. What a time. <laughs> what, a gre- what a golden era what a for culture greasy, it was. The 70s was just greasy. It just The 70s to me just feels like... You know when you like at the end of the day, a fry cook just scoops all the stuff off the off the frying surface just into, into into that trough. Then that that was the seventies. That's the grease at, at, trough. So that with a with um uh un with pubic hair. It was the seventies. That was the the other lost Ralph Bakshi movie, Grease Trough with pubic hair. <laughs> oh, you know the adventures so of many, grease trough and pubic hair. So many so many great pieces of work lost. I actually bought a cell from Wizards. And Ralph Wizards. Well, Bakshi signed it Another at a, a Comic Con. movie. Yes. yes. Which was He's... set in a world and after all guns had been outlawed in a certain part, there were two wizard brothers, one of whom looked like a Von Bode illustration and the other one looked like it was a Skeksis Ke- and a Lawnmower Man. <laughs> it was Keith Wizard and Stan Wizard. And they were <laughs> open, they opened an antique shop. Do you remember? We are we are of the same age. Yes. We are the ones who we, we bridged the generations. Mm-hmm. We started with rotary phones and now we have headphones. And now we have uh, now we have cell phones that sound like rotary phones. Exactly. <laughs> when so, they ring. Right. <laughs> and we are the connection between those things. So we I saw Wizards in the theater mm-hmm. with my dad. Because we were at that tail end of the 70s, early part of the 80s, where Star Wars had made science fiction the most important thing. Sure. And yet there were still the Ralph Bakshis out there who were making these weird 70s sex films in the form of cartoons. Mm -hmm. And so my dad took me to see Wizards, and I don't think either of us understood what happened. (laughs) We drove drove home in silence. I don't know if anyone—I mean, I I was a, a huge animation nerd growing up. And so when I saw, I saw Wizards at VHS, like I saw it in the store and I'm like, oh my God, that look, you know, the artwork looks amazing. And I remember. Well, wait a minute. Maybe you are younger than I am. Well, we're about the same age. I'm 65 years old. I'm 63. Oh, okay, that's it. That's, a, a, that's the difference, right? Gotcha. Yep. Okay. So, uh, so you saw Wizards in the. Uh, this is the beauty of going to the video store. Yep. And you looked at it and you're like, there is no masturbation material here. Or is there? Right. It, 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 opened, it was an open question. Listen, right. at that all, age. It's all Bakshi. Yeah, <clears> it was an open at that question. age, it's all, everything's fair game. <laughs> it's moving image. Yes. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> moving image isn't a glass of ice water and you're, and you're good. Well, just a moving image that's stable. I mean, so much of it was also trying to decipher scrambled porn. Is that a vagina or a shoulder pit? I don't know, uh, but it's my mind can take me to whatever that place I need to be is, so that's fine. I think there's a whole generation of of, of dudes who are now erotically trained to be aroused by s- television static snow and static and, and white noise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the because white. of trying to unscramble or trying to see through the the scrambling of the cable channels. That that's right. Adult adult entertainment. Oh yeah, fuck it. Did you ever see a boy and his dog? No. Well, you know, don't say it in that way. Okay. I'm I'm no. here, I'm here to to say we don't all have to see Zardoz. <laughs> we, Do you know what I mean? Well, I'm here to say we are, Mr. President. No, but it's like, you know, we live we live in a in a in a in a milieu of nerd snobbery. Yes. Where we we you know because we cannot compete on field of sports. Yes. Our 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 game is a kind of incredibly white dozens 
of making <laughs> more and more esoteric references. It's it's information. You saw the one the one upsmanship. It's information highlight. Yeah, and it's not even one upsmanship because it's a total lateral move. <laughs> it's you just, know what I mean? Like I'm not getting over on you at all. I'm just moving <laughs> over to the side, even more, even more to the margins of society by referencing Zardoz. You know what's interesting though, and 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 you do bring up kind of interesting. I, I've been. I've been really stuck on this idea lately of nerd on nerd violence. Of yeah, within the community, people have started to take it upon themselves to start pointing out who shouldn't or should not be allowed to be in the community or say, you know, it's like people right. are trying to call people out. And you know, I get it. It's it, you know, like it's 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 trendy right now. I mean, like it's 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 popular right now. Like the nerd culture. It was thing until is, two weeks ago. It was, oh shit! Good. Yeah, sorry. But you know, I get just as frustrated with people who like uh, someone. Um, uh, I emailed someone. We were going back and forth, and she said, "Oh yeah, my friend used to love Doctor Who until it got popular, and now he doesn't even want to watch it anymore." Because I'm like, "Well, he's just an anti-trend chaser. That's just as bad as being as chasing well, that, a trend." That is what I would call hipsterism. Yes, which is to say, gaining cachet through um, le- having gaining cachet and social credibility. Right. To your taste, you should like stuff because you like it because it's good. Precisely so. It, it, some sometimes those things are popular and sometimes those things are not. But you should right. still have the conviction to stand behind the things that you love. Well, look, regardless, you, you, you have outlined in the Buddhist sense the big vehicle definition, the Mahayana definition of nerdism. <laughs> I, I don't know, if which I is have. to say that it's not tied to a specific piece of culture or a specific uh, a specific pursuit. Uh, but that it is a, a, an, an expression of enthusiasm for a thing. Sure. That that nerdism is an expression of enthusiasm for the thing that you love. Right. And I and I appreciate uh, that definition. I think that that is a positive definition. Of course, it is so broad as to be meaningless. But I do appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it more. But but I think you're absolutely. But I think you're dead on in that. Whatever nerdism is, it is defined by enthusiasm and wanting to share that enthusiasm with other people. Sure. Now, there is a long tradition in the in the nerd culture uh, back when it was equally defined by being socially marginal. Yes. Where it was not you share you shared that stuff not sh- purely out of enthusiasm, but to create to find solace in a community of people who had also heard of the weird thing you had heard of. And in my in my and when I grew up, that was literally like four other people i mean like it was such a small it was such a small group right and i think the the thing that really irritates me about it now is that you know i i feel like if any group should be accepting and not try to be exclusive sure it should be our group and like you know give people a chance you know if they've just been turned on to something and they're excited about it let them be if they're if they're you know uh if if they're sort of fair weather nerds then fine they will not stay around but can i explain to you why that is why that happens why have you ever have you ever been bullied or teased <laughs> for the first uh up until it happened up until like f- freshman sophomore year of high school and then we moved away right and i got to start over and it happened less because i didn't have long enough in a high school i went to two different high schools in two different cities i didn't have long enough to bury any roots right. and i i kept very quiet my last year of high school because I just didn't want to go through it all again. You could have just said yes, but that's fine. I'm so, I'm glad to have that story. <laughs> I feel I feel bad now, and I'm going to give you a hug in a minute. But okay, good. It feels terrible, right? It's awful. Have you ever bullied someone? Um, I'm I'm sure I have. Absolutely. No, no you would know if you had, because that feels fucking awesome. <laughs> 
Okay. And you talk about nerd on nerd violence. Okay, I've been on the wrong dis- side of this. I discovered this. <laughs> that feels awesome. in the most in the it's and I'm not saying that as an endorsement. I'm saying uh. it is an incredibly powerful feeling that you do not forget once you have it and it is immediately addictive. And well, I know this because when when I started working at the Daily Show, mm-hmm. uh where I am still on television from time to time. Yes. There's a a wonderful young man there named Oh, what is that nerd's name? Elliot Kalin. Okay. Incredibly funny writer. Incredibly lovely guy. Um, and a small, bespectacled little nerd who keeps, you know, action figures on his desk. Mm-hmm. And as a comedy joke routine one day, I walked by his desk and I saw his his uh, his promotional Iron Man mask that he had there. I'm like, what's this, nerd? <laughs> you know, that's my Iron Man mask, he said, playing along. He said, yeah, that's really good. Nice, nice work, nerd. This is mine now. And I took it and I walked away. <laughs> and I knocked over some shit on his desk. <laughs> and, he, and he was like, but you're such a bully. And I was like, yes, it's a joke, but it's true. And I feel good. <laughs> it's okay. And then, I, and then it got out of hand. Like I, so I kept doing that to him. I would go up to him and I would, <laughs> I would be mean to him and I would call him nerd. Yep. And then, uh, and then uh, like, uh, I would take things from his desk I would, um, I, I would. He would be walking down the hall. This is when it changed. I realized. Uh oh, did it get serious? Did it get for serious? It got a little serious because I, I had just changed from my street clothes into my dress clothes, and I was carrying my sneakers down the hall, and he was walking down the hall, and I said, "Hey, nerd, hold my shoes," and I threw my sneakers at him. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it took us both by surprise how real it was, mm-hmm. and what took. T- Took him by surprise, I suppose, was that it, it kind of hurt physically and, and and emotionally. Sure, but we all know that. But you, what took me by surprise was how great it felt <laughs> to throw my shoes at a nerd. It it felt Shit. because I was playing on a power. I was playing on a power differential <gasps> that was real. Do you know what I mean? Like if you can be seduced by it. Yeah, no, no, no. No one is like safe. I was on camera talent. He's a writer. Yeah, yeah, we're all friends. We're all friends. But I could treat you like garbage at will and I'm gonna throw my shoes at you and that's gonna feel awesome. And then how did you pick up the pieces of your I don't uh, care what that nerd thinks. Oh well that works out. <laughs> that works no, he, out. he and I are friends. I but the the the, the most recent iteration of it is that uh, he is uh, every time he brings his wife to an event. I I seduce her. <laughs> oh, okay. That's I a... pretend I pretend to seduce her. <laughs> and I am someone who I am someone who at a at a in a in a dancing type environment. I will sit on the side, you know, tensely. I will never dance. Yep. Do you know what I mean? I I never. You know, I, I'm I'm a happily married person. But even when I wasn't, I'm totally terrified around women. Would never flirt or whatever, but when Elliot brings his wife around, suddenly I'm fucking Daniel Craig. Well, he doesn't he doesn't dance, right? Let's say Don Johnson. Yeah, that's much better, Don Johnson, because you're bringing it back around to a boy and his dog. Podcasting professional. Bam. No, but I, you know, I was totally like, whenever he brings his wife around, there's something uh, is unleashed in me, and I'm like, hello, my darling. (laughs) Would you Would you like to come dance? And we'll and we will, you know, and I will and I will take. And he will get so upset, and it's it, it. it unleashed a a jockish side in me that I did not know existed. So you found an even weaker class to you know it's they they I remember reading about an experiment. By the way, by the way, Elliot, I'm I you know I've I've said this to Elliot's face many a time. Sure, it is a joke that got out of hand. 
Now We Are Pals. I collaborate with him all the time. He's absolutely brilliant. He appears on my audiobook for That Is All as Dr. Elliot Kalin, prominent Ragnarok denier. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, lo- I love him. I adore him. And I really love his wife. And, <laughs> and We Are Pals. So you think that all makes up for it? What's that? That all makes up for it. Well, I figure I'm on the Nerdist podcast. If I, if I do a shout out to this nerd on this podcast... <laughs> He's going to be so busy. Hodgen, when did you become a jock? I just, I'm so surprised. You know, you've lived in New York for a couple of years. You've got hardened up. Well, no, all I'm, all I'm saying is that it, 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 it makes small people, including the smallest of people, nerds, sure. feel bigger to shit on other people. I guess that's true. It is a transference of, I remember reading about these experiments where they would, um, the, the scientists would basically antagonize a rat, poke it a bunch. Yeah. And then that rat would transfer that aggression over to a weaker rat. Is this a science experiment that you ran in your bathtub with a couple of rats? Well, I mean, listen, are hamsters rats? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's but so yeah, no, it's like you know, it is it is unnerving to see what you would call, I guess, the nerd community get stratified and jockified. Yeah, it's too bad. It's weird, but I would say what I would say is that those people and you know that there is something else out there which is which is hipsterism. Yes. And that's often defined and loathed and everything else, but the way I would define it would be you know, if nerdism is about enthusiasm for a subject or a piece of popular culture or whatever, hipsterism is sort of a hoarding of esoteric popular cultural references in order to bully people it's an aesthetic it really it's an aesthetic it's like um it's like a crab grabbing another crab's shell to gain some sort of popularity i I think that that metaphor is pretty hack by the way that's that's, (laughs) it's like a crab well that let me finish that metaphor back in 2009 let me finish i mean but now we're on to better things the crab is actually uh burrowing into the shell oil company and better uh (laughs) And he's uh, upsetting the global balance of, uh, of of finance distribution. I like that very much. Okay, I was trying good. to be I was trying to be hipstery about like a hipster snob about your. You were being a meta hipster, but, but but you know that that sort of thing of like lording your taste over someone instead of sharing your taste. Pat, Patton, I think Patton said that hipsters are nerds without the smarts, like something along those lines. I think that they're jocks. I mean, I think that hipsters are 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 jocks pretending to be nerds. In the sense that they put, they're putting on a uniform, yeah, of of cultural obsession, which is one of the things that that broadly defines nerds, and that's bringing it back. But it's a uniform, just like the, just like a football helmet or or a fringed cape of a baseballist, and the, and the <laughs> or a footballer. Yeah. But that but that but that's that takes it back around to what I to what to what all started this, which is Don Johnson, which is Don Johnson, and um, no, please, and, I, and I, no socks. I, inter- I interrupted your your and uh, and uh, the it was the idea that. People can't like something once it's once it's, once popular. it's popular, and you go, well, yeah, but then you the the, the value of something isn't its popularity. The value of something is, is do you can, do you have enough of a, your own opinion and soul to like it? Yeah, and then stand behind that. And sometimes, you know, you'll pick something that's on the popular side, and other times, do you have the strength of character to like something that's not popular well, see, and but, not give a shit? But this what is the thing: think. Ner- nerds would create subcultures around. A, a film or a, or a comic or an idea or a character or a computer or whatever it is, mm-hmm. they would create those communities for solace. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Whereas for hipsterism, 
you know, and I don't want to break it all down this way, but then there's another way to approach pop culture, which is much more common to the music culture traditionally, like cool kids liking music. Yep. Where you you uh, it, it's not that you're you're forming a a group around that piece of culture for solace. It's aspirational. It's to get into a cool group. I guess that's I mean? true. Yeah. And to ally yourself with a cool that you don't have yourself. That's right. That you will abandon the moment that it's no longer cool because the whole point of doing it is because you want to be cool. And you and you don't want to associate yourself with people like the masses. Right. Because you don't want to go, well, I'm not a dumb sheep. Right. I liked this thing before. Right. But it's like... The, but the, I'm, I'm aspiring to the next cool. But you know what's funny about that is that like the thing didn't change. The thing, it was neutral the entire time. Yeah. The piece of content, the song, the, the television show, whatever it was, that was neutral the entire time. The only value was placed on it externally by the sway of, of popular or uh, opinion. Right. Zardoz has been the same movie. <laughs> the entire time. Since it was first film in 1892. It's the, <laughs> that's right. And it was shot on brass. <laughs> Just shot on brass. <laughs> and discovered by Joseph Smith. <laughs> but you are, you are you are right that there is a different moment in time now where the things that we grew up loving that were that were unknown or marginal and we took solace in the small groups that formed around them because we otherwise had had no friends. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? That those things are cool. That there's you know, there is cool associated with with Doctor Who, and that's unnerving. Do you know what I mean? Now, I won't say it's a ton of cool. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm, you know, sports is still still king, right? Right. Sports is still it's still king in this country. Yeah, there's there's no question in the world. Sports is still king. more people watch the Super Bowl than the season finale of Doctor Who. Yes. Yes, exactly. So, but there there is a certain, and and whether it is lasting or or whether it is of this moment, there is a, a certain mainstreaming of what have been traditionally nerdy or geeky pursuits yeah um uh, 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 genre movies television comics yep sci-fi books com- yep. sci-fi fantasy um and then computers obviously and it all happened because of computers it all happened because of the internet you know it became the worldwide convention for nerds right Do you know what i mean it was a self-selected population of white people who liked science fiction and fantasy who were using those computers early on and whereas they would previously have gone into a a Sheraton to meet each other once a year. Now they could talk to nerds all over the world and form essentially a massive cultural voting block. They can go on full of news groups. <laughs> no, no, no. But I mean, you, so you, you know, the reason that there are so many comic book movies now that are made this way is because you know it goes back to ain't it cool? Like, you know, uh, Harry uh, Knowles. You know, went from being a fanboy to someone who was influencing the industry that he was talking about, which really for was good or for ill. But that was uh, he he marshaled an, uh, an army of invested fans, yeah, and made that kind of nerdy appreciation of movies an economic block. Well, it, because he because it gave because now everyone has a voice, everyone has a way to express. Right. And I mean, it's it's essentially you're creating armies. If you can if you can if you can raise an army the, digitally or or IRL, right? Um, but they but he basically it was basically just raising an army and and giving people uh, nerds had never strength in numbers. Yeah, nerds had never been able to raise armies before. No, no, but but now it's you know it is interesting to see the shift from I think. Uh, I think a marketing douchebag would call it a, a bottom-up versus a top-down 
that is a bottom up because it's not a handful of companies. It's not the ruling class telling you what you can enjoy. Oh, I'm it's, sorry. I thought this was another masturbation euphemism. <laughs> oh, well, now that you mention that, I'll be right back. <laughs> Sit on my hands. And we're back. We just oh. took a three hour break, and <laughs> yep. Chris just came back now. And uh, three whole hours. Yes, I covered I, with cabbage leaves, and uh, uh, it's a cheap. It's a cheap masturbation. Um, you know, I I think what's interesting is that yeah, that that ner- that that and and Patton has written about this too. Yeah, he did. That these things, science fiction and fantasy, are much more mainstream now. I mean, you remember before Lord of the Rings came out, there was a lot of sniffy like, who's going to go see a movie about hobbits? Right. You know, because even even people who were writing movie coverage were jocks compared to the D and D players in their high school. Do you know what I mean? Right. And and you know, obviously, the success of Lord of the Rings. Made everyone, if they admitted it or not, eat a lot of crow. Well, it was it was it was you know it was Lord of the Rings, it was Spider Man, it was X Men, it was Harry Potter, it was yep. it was all these things sort of and with the confluence of of broadband and and uh, and you know these armies kind of raising and being able to and they were the ones that had you know internet connections first. They were the ones that got broadband first. They were the ones that were building the message boards. They were the ones that were populating the message boards and. But you know, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a bad thing. I mean, you know, we get a we get a Joss Whedon directed Avengers movie, which I really enjoyed. Superhero movies in the in the eighties were way more missed than they were hit. Oh yeah, no, no, I'm not. Believe me, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. Right. But I mean, it does it does change the definition of what nerd of what nerdery traditionally has been because sure. there was a big part of it that it was that it was, uh, you know, obsessive, enthusiastic, and also socially marginal. And that last part. Of the nerd stool of the three of the three <laughs> of the three legs of the nerd stool yes. has changed, um, and you know I, I I don't see that there's a problem with that. But no, I'm not, me neither. But I'm not surprised that I'm not surprised that for for that reason the 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 the, the community, as you say, gets a little fractured. Well, I just feel like that by definition, because now nerds can get over on each other. They can, but by definition, there I I still feel like it's safe. It's not. The you know the 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 pool may be more full than it was before, but I still feel like that the true the people who truly are who truly have that gene will dive deeper down the chasms than other people will. So there mm-hmm. there will always be a re- there will always be a refuge. Well, at the end of the day, yes, exactly. So you like what you like, mm-hmm. and that that applies to movies and TV shows and that applies to people in the world. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to you're not a hipster. You don't have to associate with with stuff that just because you're supposed to. I guess that's true. So if you for instance, you know, if I say I like Doctor Who and then Chris Angel goes, "I love Doctor Who." My instant reaction is like, "Oh, great, another Doctor Who fan." I'm like, "You can't like what I like." Did Do- did Chris Angel say he loves Doctor Who? I no. But he might. Yeah. I don't know him. What would you say if you learned that Chris Angel was the next doctor? I would say something had gone terribly wrong and that the mutants from Omega Man had somehow taken over the BBC and just started trying to run it into the ground. But, you know, it's also important not to overstate the moment that nerdism has been experiencing. Don't, by the way, I don't want you to, let's not, let's not underestimate the the uh, this the involuntary like ah! that probably escaped a lot of mouths when you said what if Chris Angel were the next <laughs> ah! like even the men- you said it and if you say a thing in life that makes it that gives it a reality 
Uh, yes, and there was a time probably in culture when that could happen. The angel has the phone box. Come on! Whoa. That... That's nice. Huh? I like that a lot. Thank you. Good reference. Thank you. Not as good as Skeksis in a lawnmower man. No, but it was... Well, the point is... A homophone. You like what you like. You're not a hipster. You don't have to like Zardoz. You don't have to see a boy in his You don't have to like anything. anything. You can like what you want. And that's but, why I always say, so, and, but if you, but you have to see a boy in a stone. <laughs> but let's, can we just break it down for a second? Because I never saw it, and I worked at that video store, and I looked at that thing all the time, and I was like, I don't want to see this Don Johnson movie. But it is a weird and and terrifying and interesting apocalypse movie. Really? Okay. That has a psychic dog in it, played by Tiger from the Brady Bunch. Really? I'm yeah. glad he got other work. That was his only other job. Oh. Yeah. I mean, literally, that was his only other job. I think he got sick and died. Oh, yeah. That. I saw his E. True Hollywood story. Yeah. There's a lot of drug kibble. And there's an, and there's an underground post-apocalyptic... Uh-huh. There's an underground post-apocalyptic community that is led by Jason Robards wearing white pancake makeup. Sure. Like the Omega Man. It's always the white pancake makeup. And as, and as weird and as greasy and as drug-infused, and I'll be, I'll be blunt, I mean, it is... It's purposefully misogynist mm-hmm. because that's what the story is about to some degree. Okay, uh, it is. It is, um, and and sort of ramshackle as the movie is, it's still a good movie. All right, I'll check it out. That's all I'm saying about very that. easy. By the way, if a dog wanted to become a heroin addict, yes, they already have the collar. You pull that off, tie that around just above the elbow joint. Right. The problem is the no opposable thumb. So how do you plunge the syringe down? I guess you just have well, to. Well, that's why the dog needed Don Johnson in the movie A Boy and His to, Dog to shoot the. Because before that, he just has his other adorable dog buddies like mashing their noses into the plunger. Exactly. And it's it's. I mean, I don't know if you can describe heroin use as adorable, but I guess in this instance, it would be pretty adorable. <laughs> I think I think you are uh, you are uh, unfortunately and unconsciously giving rise to the worst YouTube meme of all time. <laughs> heroin Ador- dogs, uh, adorable <laughs> heroin, heroin pups. bunnies, heroin puppies. <laughs> you know what? You thought it was funny when I put a can- pancake on this rabbit's head. What if I get it high? These are the pound puppies you never heard well, about. There's got to be ten million videos of dudes getting their like college dudes getting their dogs high, right? Oh God, I hope. Yes, I'm sure there are. Well, getting their dogs high by blowing pot in his face, not getting their dog high by strapping it to a chair, tying its arm off, and injecting it with a heroin. No, of course there's a difference. That's why we decriminalize dog marijuana and not dog heroin. <laughs> hey. <laughs> How come your dog's pulled all of his eyelashes out? <laughs> the message, did he, he's chewed all of his own. The, me, the, the message that I give to nerds who are saying that some nerds aren't nerds and whatever, it's like stop being bullies, nerds. Stop being jocks. Yeah, seriously. You are this this uh, this culture, such as it is. You know, it, it it is enjoying a moment of of surprising mainstreaming. But what no armies we can raise will be greater than the army that can be raised by two and a half men. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? No army that we which no iteration? Army that we raise. That's a good. That's a good point. But there's some, someone's very angry upstairs. Oh yeah, I don't know. Ever since Bruce Banner moved in, he just shouts at the TV and then, <laughs> and then he just gets no, mad. No, you know it's like the the the, the forces the forces of non nerdism are still strong. Yeah, they are, and I think I think people. I mean, you know, I, do you think? You always want to be the other thing. Like if you're one, it's sort of like you know. I always say, 
uh, I think all music, uh, I think all comedians want to be rock stars, and all yeah. rock stars want to be comedians. Yes, that's, and so that's when you... why there is the best show on WFMU. <laughs> Tom Sharpling. Yes, just look it up, nerds. <laughs> they already know what it. You is. have access to Google. We do not. I feel bad for. I feel bad about uh, the Tom Sharpling show. You know, he had me on once. I didn't realize we were live. I thought we were doing a podcast, and right, I accidentally right. said "fuck," right, and he instantly hung up on me, and we've never spoken again. Oh well, you know. Um, I think the the bigger insult was not that you said fuck, but that you thought you were doing a podcast because he takes intense pride in the fact that he does a live terrestrial radio show. Well, but I knew a lot he... of it. A lot of it is bluster. You understand? A lot of it is the, the part of the act. Oh, I know, I know, and and I knew. I mean, of course, I know that he does a terrestrial radio show. Right. I for some reason I it was it was expressed to me that I thought this was for the podcast version. And not for the terrestrial radio version. Some, you know, You're like, asking me to broker a, broker a truce. I just need you to find a neutral location. Let's say Stockholm. Yeah. And let's, we'll, let's go to the Kittimer Accords. <laughs> we'll go and we'll finally hammer this out. Yeah. This four or five year old issue. Beef. Nerd beef. That, that's happened. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I'll, I'll broker a truce. I don't, I'll, what I'm saying is I, I, I am certain that there are no hard feelings let's talk about um let's talk about your book for a second oh right which second do you want to talk about it <laughs> wait i think we just missed it now oh, okay uh well that's all the time we have so the reason i the reason i was watching a boy and his dog and the reason i was watching omega man i mean there are a lot of post-apocalyptic post-apocalyptic things that i had already seen including wizards obviously yes uh and and like all uh humans i am fascinated with post-apocalyptic fictions because i believe that i am immortal and if something terrible were to happen to the rest You're of the earth i was it. going to be the one who's going to survive it yep like all people who enjoy zombie movies i you, also wish to shoot my neighbors in the head with impunity you would be like the protagonist from childhood's end Yes, who exactly just so. gets to witness everything, and then it's all over. But he's still exactly so. I am the mustachioed Uatu, the Watcher, <laughs> uh, and and uh, and and. But I had there were a lot of blind spots in my education that I had to watch and get and and get to know because I was writing this book. That is all. Yes, which is my last book of fake trivia, right? Which deals with all of the things that I was too terrified to deal with before. Which is wine and sports sure. and death and the end of the world. Okay. And as you know, uh, the date today is November something. F uh, 15th. It doesn't matter when it is. Sure. This is a podcast. It lives forever. It's November the 37th. Right, exactly so. And, uh, and on December 21st, according to the ancient Mayans, the world is going to end. Okay. Now, do we know that for sure? It's hard to say. The ancient Mayans... Lived a long time ago. They said a lot of things. They, they, you know, they're pretty smart, but they still didn't know how to make smooth pyramids. So how smart could they be? <laughs> but you know? maybe it's like creamy and chunky peanut butter. They just like lumpy pyramids. They like lumpy lopsided Smooth pyramids. them out, Mayans. Come on, guys. Come on. You looked at a step pyramid. You know what I mean? It's shameful. There's a reason that they're called the Great Pyramids of Egypt. Yes. Because they're great. They're, listen, Egyptians were py pyramid nerds. There's no question. That's true. That's true. And the Mayans? The Mayans, you know. Like, it's good enough. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, it's it, shit looks like Lego. Yeah. It's you know what like, I mean? Lego uh, that looks like Lego 
is Lego, right? But if you make that Lego look smooth, that's a hard thing to do. It's like trying to cover a giant hole in your wall with spackle versus joint compound. That's exactly right. It's just the wrong... I say, acting as if I know any of those words. That's about the only construction terms that I know. Spackle or joint compound? Yes. The the joint compound is for bigger, I think, and then spackle is just for like... I put a nail and see we all learn something moving out of my apartment. Um, But so, yeah, I don't know whether the world is going to end on December 21st. Um, I've predicted as much in my book. Maybe I should hold this until the December 22nd. (laughs) This podcast. (laughs) We'll see. Well, or 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 you can you can you can hold the podcast, but then also call me on December 22nd. So I can express my shame. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. I'll do that. At that point, I will almost surely be on the run. (laughs) <laughs> from all the people who gave away their earthly possessions, counting on my prediction to be true. Well, who did who they give them away to? To the non-believers like you. Well, then maybe we would back you up for getting all this free stuff. Maybe what I need to do is take take uh, refuge. All right, here's what you're going to do, everybody. This is going to work great, Chris. Okay, great. Everyone listening to this, run this before the end of the world, okay? Okay. All right, good. So the end of the world is coming December 21st. Sure. Uh, it's going to happen just the way you always expected it to happen. Collapse of civilization very soon thereafter. Gas shortage, economic collapse. The dollar falls. The beef jerky dollar rises. Zombies. The blood wave, the omega pulse, the dog storm, the return of the ancient and unspeakable gods to drown you in blood. And then that's it. So. (laughs) How long does that take, by the way? Well, I had initially predicted a year. <laughs> so the end of the world but is But actually... we only have about six weeks left, so okay. it's going to be pretty compressed. Okay. <laughs> it may, maybe my calculations were a little off, and it's all going to happen that one day. Okay. But the point is, you might as well, you don't need your money anymore, and you don't need your possessions. Right. So donate them all to, what's the name of your LLC? <laughs> Nerdist Industries? Nerdist Industries. Or F- Fish Ladder is my corporate. Yeah, okay. Fish Ladder. What? How many different shell companies are you running here? <laughs> what are you talking about? No, well, there's Nerdist Industries, and then there's Nerdist LLC, and then there's Bain Capital. And then you're Fish Ladder is my about- Fish Ladder <laughs> is for my international affairs. Like all of a sudden, it's, you're like Ozzy Mendias up in here. What are, you, what are you? What are you hiding? What are you gonna? What are you gonna unleash on the world through your Nothing. web of corporations? Nothing. Listen, it's all well. The anyway, same. give all your money to Chris Hardwick. Sure. And uh and because he because because why not? And then What's Chris, it going to hurt? Right, what's it going to hurt? You might as well give it all to one place because it's just easier. All right. Exactly. Good. Now, shh, nerd, stop listening, Chris. Mm-hmm. When the world doesn't end yeah. and people are mad at me, yeah. that's when I take refuge in your smooth nerdist pyramid that was built by the that mo- was built with the money the that everyone's going to give you. Yeah. It's literally a pyramid scheme. That's why you always have to hire an Egyptian. <laughs> it's literally a pyramid scheme. Oh. <laughs> God damn it. It's still not as good as Paul F. Tompkins' pyramid scheme joke. <laughs> Which one's that? <laughs> From the Pod F. Tomcast, like maybe the first one where his version of Ice-T is talking to his version of Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> and, ta- and Ice-T's talking about his pyramid scheme. <laughs> Which was the building and selling of actual backyard pyramids. <laughs> uh, I think I think your pyramid scheme... Maybe which the I think that is the gem of the podcast. I think oh, thank you. I think that really uh, beyond. I think that I think that beats Angel has the phone box. Chris Angel but has the phone box. But this is the thing: we're nerds. We're we're not trying to one up 
each other. No, we're this just is true. Playing, we're playing together. I love it so much. Speaking I love of which, it so where much. Where is where is Paul F. Tompkins? He's got what is he behind the couch? Hey, let me help you. This is a this is a podcast, right? Yeah, so that's where, right. Where is he? Well, technically, I'm. Well, I was trapped in the internet on Paul's show. Oh, yes. for a long time. And what then they, I I, got, I finally got out. What are they? They're moving school desks up there. Are they getting? Are they? Are they? Is something happening outside? Is lost? Oh, it's because of the rain in Los Angeles. Everyone's piling school desks it, against. There's the, a triage. Yeah, <laughs> people setting up a triage center up there. Some a palm frond yeah. fell on the sidewalk. Right. And they're sma- they're smashing. They're they're moving school desks against the door. It's so fucking. Los Angeles is so fucking embarrassing. The East Coast. You you had Hurricane Sandy and a nor'easter in relatively close proximity, and then in L.A. it's like that's a it's getting a little cloudy. I'm getting a little chill. What are you gonna do? Well, I shouldn't I'll go to work. S- Get the kids. For all of my apocalypse jokes, you know the the Sandy slash nor'easter one two punch really made it not so f- <laughs> not, not so funny. Not as funny. It must be kind of hard to push the idea of an apocalypse book in a city that got smacked in the face a couple times. Well, you know, it's and and you know, look, obviously, it had been smacked in the face in, in a lot of different ways a number of times where you, something happened that you thought, how could anyone possibly recover from it? I mean, it was reassuring to see that you know all the lights could go out in Lower Manhattan and it would not immediately become king of. I mean, escape from New York. Do you know what I mean? It, it, New York is one of those cities that just. You know, shit just keeps happening to New York, and the, and and New York just keeps getting back up. It's, I mean, I, right. I am, I am, I am so much in awe of the the constitution of the heart of New York. It's amazing. And well, I mean, part part of it, I think, is our almost um, in inhuman, and by that I mean cruel and monstrous ability to compartmentalize. <laughs> 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 like I flew back t- I I was I was performing with Jonathan Colton and John Roderick in Seattle. Oh, wonderful. And our uh, Jonathan's and my flights were canceled, but we got rebooked the next day. We flew in on Halloween, no problem getting in, zipped down the uh, Grand Central Parkway to my house in Park Slope and was distributing organic uh sustainably harvested candy to people in homemade Etsy costumes <laughs> under our liberal dome of sanctimony. And coconut waters. Yeah, protected by our liberal dome of sanctimony <laughs> as Red Hook and Staten Island drowned. And we like we had no idea we had no idea what was going on. And then only later, of course, we learned and I'm I'm glad to I I hope that it's getting better and we've done a lot of you know, I loved the fact that the marathoners decided not to do their dumb rushing back and forth sport and decided to help out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, slowly but surely, I, uh, you know, recovery is happening. But you know, there's still nine block long gas lines. The ATMs were running out of money, and while everyone can deal with that calmly, if it co- goes on much longer, you feel like, oh yeah, the line the the line between civilization and savagery is pretty thin. It is it, well, and and then you know, I was watching videos of of just seeing you know subway stops that were just submerged. Right. Where I don't know why it. it, it it's I, I it creeps I have this weird fascination with that kind of creepy imagery. Yeah. Because that's just nature going, uh, fuck yourself. Yeah. You know that's nature saying, you know you're just renting, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can do this whenever I want. Yeah, exactly. It's right. he's like yeah. your nature is basically just like uh, a volatile European landlord right. <laughs> who's just like, I can do whatever I want, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, subway tunnels full of water is an idea for a science fiction movie. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Or an idea in a science fiction movie at least. Yes. And so when you see that happening, 
in real life, it is very for I think for for everyone. Obviously, it's very disturbing. And then for for a nerd who imagines that stuff for fun, it's like, oh, this is not fun. And at I all. want to make it very clear that if we do become a water world, yes, simply uh, making slits in your neck with a paring knife will not allow you to breathe underwater. All right, let's do some let's do some lightning round stuff here without without the internet. Okay, who directed Waterworld? Oh, fuck, I, I... right? Was it Kevin Costner? I don't think he directed it. I don't think he did either. I think he was just in it. Who was the female lead in Waterworld? <sighs> I got you on this one. Well, who was it? Jean Triplehorn. Oh, it was Jeannie Triplehorn. Yeah. Oh my. I mean, I haven't seen Waterworld since since Waterworld. Waterworld. <laughs> yeah. And to be honest, I don't even think I saw it all the way through. I think it was a. I think it was a an HBO uh, viewing. Yeah. That halfway through, I just got up. Guess what? They find land. What? Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> John, I hadn't seen the ending yet. Guess How could you do that? Guess what? That guy can that guy became a mutant fish man within three generations. Hey, by the way, Kevin Costner really does seem to enjoy the post apocalyptic film. There was the postman? Yeah. Did you see that movie? Which no. The postman? No. The postman? I did not. Guess who directed it? Kevin Costner. Yes. Yes. Absolutely right. And who was the No Dances Without Wolves? There was no <laughs> There was no the, po- the Postman is a really weird movie. And again, I you know, you like what you like and time is short. You do not have human children uh and uh and a cl- clearly boundless energy and you never sleep. So you might actually have some time to check out The Postman just as a curiosity. I think I might. But Will Patton plays the villain in that movie and he is great. Okay. He plays the he plays the the fascist general in that movie, and what is great about that movie, which is directly from the book, which was written by David Brin, uh, is that the fascist general, who is the villain of the book, who who once society disappears, decides immediately to form a new fascist society. Yeah, had previously been a I think a a, a photocopy repairman. And oh, like, that feels right to me. That would happen. Yeah, that's that exactly feels- what would happen. Yep. That feels right to me. That is why when civilization disappears, I will die. You know, for for all of the bullying of Elliot Kalin I may do, I will I will die wedged to death by strong fascists gasping for breath out of reach of my asthma. Inhaler. That fascist may be Elliot, who in the apocalypse it may be just decides to <sighs> not take the shit anymore. Now I kind of want apocalypse to happen just to see if that will happen. Make friends with nerds because they will. Destroy you in you an are all now under the Kalen Protectorate. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was about to make a joke about Elliotness, and I'm like, well, that's just Elliot Ness. Yes. Oh, right. Yeah, that's true. So that's not really Elliotness. The uh, Elliotness would be would be uh, would be the the sort of metaphysical spiritual state that you have to as- aspire to under the El- the Kalen Protectorate. Lightning round. Does the Untouchables hold up? I haven't seen it in a few years. Uh, lightning round. I don't know. Neither have I. Um, that's a Kevin Costner. He is. He is in that movie too. Yes. Yeah, I'm glad. I like Kevin Costner. I think Kevin Costner is an okay guy. Kevin Costner is great. He was in Night Shift. Was he? This is a little known fact. If you watch the movie Night Shift, yeah, there's a scene where um, Henry Winkler uh, comes back to the morgue. And Bill Blazjowski is throw, Michael Keaton is throwing a party in the morgue. There's a bunch of frat guys. One of them, of course, Clint yeah. Howard, I think. No, no, Clint Howard's in another. No, yes, Clint Howard. Sure. And Kevin Costner is a frat guy extra 
in this morgue scene, and he's oh, listed yeah. in the credits as frat guy number one or two or something. It's well, Kevin. Don't look it up. You can't look it up. It's Kevin Costner. Oh, nice. Yep. All right. More post-apocalyptic no Google lightning round. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, the Book of Eli was a Bible. Oh, yeah. Did you see that movie? <laughs> no, it looked horrible. <laughs> and then and then once that got out, I was like, who, what? Who directed that movie? Jesus Christ. But what? Oh, no, I'm sorry. Jesus H. Christ, because Jesus Christ already was registered at the, at SAG. <laughs> so he had to be Jesus H. Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Actor joke. Uh, uh, what's your favorite post-apocalyptic movie? Ooh, um, I mean, Road Warrior is pretty fucking great. Right. I, uh, what are some other good ones? Are you a Beyond Thunderdome hater? I'm not a hater because, I, I mean, let, let me put it this way. I've not seen Beyond Thunderdome since I was very young. Right. And when I was a kid, you know, I thought Beyond Thunderdome was, I, I really liked it. Right. Because, you know. It was, be, I, it was Beyond Thunderdome. It was way beyond Thunderdome. Now you're like, you know what, it's it was, just merely Thunderdome. It was Bed Bath & Beyond it, Thunderdome. It, it, it caught up to Thunderdome. <laughs> <laughs> there was, it was Thunderdome, but with a lot of impulse by refrigerator magnets. Right, 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 right. So it, uh, you know, I, I think a, as a kid, I noticed that, you know, obviously Road Warrior was a very, very gritty looking movie. Yes. And I think. The shininess of Beyond Thunderdome being a much bigger budget film when I was a kid was like, oh, like and when I was a little kid, I loved, uh, you know, Return of the Jedi, I thought sure. was and, um, you know, like the Star Wars movie because I was like 10 years old or something when it came out. And then when I got older, I was like, oh, no, I really love Empire. Like, that's my favorite one because yeah. that's, that's the really dark, grittier one. And, uh, and I think it, so as a, so now I would probably go back to Road Warrior over Beyond Thunderdome because I haven't seen it since We Don't Need Another Hero was in the top 10. That's a good song. It's not a bad song. You know what? I would let Tina Turner be the the Elliot Kalen dictator of my barter town. Wouldn't you? A lot of euphemisms in there. There is, <laughs> but but they actually all made sense to me. Uh, did you ever see Mad Max? Of course. Yeah. Cuz that was there was still there was still law in Mad Max. He was a cop. He, society was collapsing at that time. Remember when the world liked Mel Gibson? <laughs> remember when he was like sexiest man alive, the guy who would practical joke on the set of Lethal Weapon? Just he's a, hilarious. Uh, you know this. Uh, this now he's became an anti-Semitic, an anti-Semitic prankster. It's you know it's it's hard. It's it hard. is it is interesting to see that. It's interesting to see that shift, and I think. Like what happens is, you know, people get really successful. They get really famous. They get kind of isolated. They're with their own thoughts too much. They're not in, you know, like they're they don't have the checks and balances around them that go, oh, maybe I shouldn't think that, or maybe that is wrong, or maybe I, right, you know, and and so they just lose any kind of barometer. I think it's, you know, I think in in uh, in the airline industry, I think you would call that they are flying VFR as opposed to IFR. Are you doing a, uh, a, a buzz marketing for the new Denzel Washington movie, Flight? I may not have. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Robert Zemeckis is here. I may not have even gotten right. I may not have gotten those abbreviations right. But basically. I don't know what the, uh, any of that It's means. the difference between flying with instruments and flying visually. Oh, and visually, yeah. you have to have you have to have all your f- references, reference points. Right. 
And I think you have to be able to navigate the world. You have to be able to navigate the world. And so I think when on your own. super famous people, they start flying without instruments because right. there's nothing keeping them right. aligned. Right. And then all they of a have sudden a, they have a heads up display of privilege. Yes. And all of a sudden about uh, 20 years go by and they have 20 years of just going down that path. And then it's hard for them to understand why they can't just be themselves. <laughs> like, right. Well, you've become weird because you live in a in a bizarre cave palace above you know yeah yeah i don't you know it's it's there is a weird thing in in in, if you like movies and you like popular culture to to to, you know when you love a performer you love that person Mm -hmm. you want to think they're the greatest person in the world but who knows if mel gibson changed maybe just some bad things got emphasized the less work he had to do and the less he had to interact with other human beings sure but it is weird to reconcile the Mel Gibson who exists today with the Mel Gibson that you kind of enjoyed. Because uh, I remember at the there was a it was an MTV Movie Awards like in '96 or '7 or something. But sure, Janine Garofalo was interviewing him backstage. Was interviewing Mel Gibson. Of course, he had this whole. I don't know why. I'm I'm sorry. I t- took us down Mel Gibson vania, but um, <laughs> <laughs> he. Uh, but Gibsonvania is a gated community that I'm forming. <laughs> we're at, we we're, we're just going to start showing the model unit soon. Mel Shrek. Yeah, it's a it's a highly Catholic community. Very very Catholic. Very old school pre Vatican II community. Yep, there's a Pope tunnel. People, yeah, exactly. All the way to the Vatican where the Pope can. Just... Where people who the people who voted for Mitt Romney, and yeah. now and now want to leave America can go and live in the, Mel, in, Mel in, Gibsonvania. In, in Gibsonvania. Yeah. And so, you know, he had this reputation of like he's a jokester and he's really funny and so janine was interviewing him and she would go now mel in your personal opinion what is the favorite movie that i've what is your favorite movie that i've ever been in and as like she jokingly made it about herself right and he got mad and left and so i always thought oh that was Okay, yeah, maybe he was tired or what. And then, of course, you know, as the years went by, you're like, yeah, I think he might just be kind of cranky. What, what, but what is, what's going on? What is his relationship with Jodie Foster? I don't know. She because fully she, supported him. Yeah, she would not, she would not back off Mel Gibson because I guess she had such great memories of making Maverick. <laughs> but I remember when they were making Maverick, they got along gangbusters. <laughs> like you really. Th- the, you would see you would see uh, interviews with them, and they would just be laughing and laughing and talking about the funny jokes they had on Maverick. Do you know what I mean? I know. And I'm glad they I'm glad someone had a good time with that movie. But then then you know, <laughs> even if it was just them, <laughs> it was just that they were the ones who had fun. Yep. But and then and then Mel Gibson went down the the crazy hole. Yeah. And not only did she stand by him, but then she was like, "I'm going to bring him back for my movie called The Beaver." Yep. And that's going to be his comeback. Jodie Foster didn't have to do that. The Beaver trailer was like the Tiptoes trailer, (laughs) where (laughs) you're watching it and going, "Is this a is this a funny or die sketch? Yeah, or is this a thing? Is this a real? I can't figure out." That Tiptoes. Have you seen Tiptoes? I've not seen the movie. No. But I, if the you trailer watch, is as far as you need to go. The trailer is hilarious for Tiptoes. If you don't know, it's Gary Oldman plays a little person. Yes, and it's got Matthew McConaughey and Kate Beckinsale. And well, the reason that Gary Oldman had to play a little person, so Matthew McConaughey is a guy who who brings his fiance home, having never revealed that he is the only member 
of his family who is not a little person. Yes. And his brother is a little person played by Gary Oldman. Yes. And if, you, if you're wondering why Gary Oldman plays a little person, it's because there are no little people who work in entertainment. Well, be- <laughs> He's got and historically there never have been. Peter Dinklage is in the movie too, as a matter of fact. Well, yes, and I'm sure, I'm sure he was thrilled. <laughs> well, he did it. And, and it's, you know, you look at a movie like that and you go, okay, wait a minute. They got an amazing... Wait a minute. Are you saying that because Peter Dinklage was in the movie that it is therefore okay that Gary Oldman played a little person? No, I'm just saying I'm just saying that at least they tried to dip into the correct casting waters a little. <laughs> no one loves Gary person. Oldman more than me. I, and you can tell that I have totally modeled my new look after Commissioner Gordon. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have a total cop stash and and glasses of. Uh, There's gonna be a riot in the streets. You know where to find me. I have to go away for a while. You're only one man. No, I'm two. technically two men. Technically two. Technically, well, I'm one man who has two different identities. There's there's daytime Batman and there's nighttime Batman. Speaking of apocalypse, and speaking of New York taking a lot of garbage and pulling itself back up again. Yeah. I have not seen the third Batman movie. Oh, Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, I know the name of it. Okay. What? So don't please. I mean, I'll see it eventually. You can. It's been enough time. You can spoil things for me. But I, I recently was required uh, to watch Batman Begins again. Yes. And I remembered what I thought at the time. Why does Liam Neeson want to destroy Gotham City? Well, because he feels uh, Raja Ghul feels that society is sick and needs to be uh, punished did and that corrected. Did that hold water with you? And when you saw that movie? Of course, it's a comic book movie. That's the kind of shit that happens in a comic book. I found that to be dumb. <laughs> in a word. <laughs> I just couldn't follow that. Like, you know, like the thing that would have made that villain chilling to me would be if you could follow his chain of logic. To a degree beyond which, like the whole point is that uh, Bruce Wayne's with that guy up to a point. Sure. Right? Because they both hate bad guys. Right. They're the only two people in the world who really do. But Gotham Gotham is is buckling from like a like a crime, like a right. bad guy epidemic. A and bad so, guy demic. A bad guy demic. So he right. which is better than a so bird. The League demic. of Shadows burned London because it was bad. <laughs> the League of Shadows brought down Constantinople because it was terrible. Istanbul? What? No wait. Constantinople. Con- it, it's nobody's business but the Turks. <laughs> Thank you for jumping on that. <laughs> Even old New York. <laughs> look, look. I'm not a jock, right? But I can still play T-ball. You put the ball on the thing. I'm gonna hit it. You're gonna hit that. Yeah, you're gonna exactly. hit that. T might be Giants ball. Yeah. That was a stretch. I'll be honest. It's fine. Um, but I, my, my earlier point. No. So yes, I, I didn't have a problem with him wanting to raise Gotham because of the criminal element. I didn't have a problem with that. Of course. Why? Why didn't I have a problem with it? Destroy the city? Sure. Why not? What, well, that, what would that get? Well, then you. What would you gain by that? Because it's it's this it's there it's a cancerous cell that he's trying to remove to let a new society. But is is Gotham spreading little mini Gotham's everywhere? Yes, Gotham is fucking other cities like Metropolis, and giving it. Wait a minute, Gotham guy, herpes, crime this, herpes. <laughs> this guy has infiltrated every level of Gotham society. He knows who the bad guys are. He's a total vigilante. Right. Take out the bad guys. 
Well, why is he murdering uh, the little kid who uh, sees Batman climbing up the side of his building? You're trying to reason with a mastermind. I, I don't know. Well, why the did... whole point is that it's supposed to be, a, I mean, you know, when, when was that movie made? 2005? That sounds right. So it can't not be a Osama bin Laden metaphor. Oh, Osama bin Laden is a madman, but there was a point, there was a dark, terrible, and and loathsome logic to a, a huge symbolic attack against a major American city. It was not specifically to rid rid New York City of crime. It was to take vengeance for the crimes that he felt America was perpetrating on the rest of the world. But I think that, uh, I I really think that the Raja Ghul logic didn't fall apart for me. Because... In the comics, Raja Ghul wants to, I, I think, literally decimate the human population on Earth. That is to say, reduce it by ten by take by by a factor of ten. Yes, right. to decimate because Although, he, because he believes that we are destroying the earth ecologically by population growth, which is te- which is a monstrous thing to do. That has that is the logical this is the monstrous logical conclusion of a cha- of a train of thought. I don't get why this guy wants to destroy. What's he going to gain by by smashing this city? I think you need to be asking him why haven't you guys? Why did you stop going to couples therapy? <laughs> It's just really on my mind. <laughs> you need to be. You need to be talking to him. You need, now. You pretend I'm him. I don't want to play role Rasha Ghoul role play anymore. This isn't <laughs> fucking Dragon Con. Rasha play, which I never got to my other point about tiptoes. Okay, go on. Which was another crime perpetrated. I don't know how you get that cast. And then if you watch the trailer, they it's like they everything else about that movie looked professional, and then the trailer looked like. A Hallmark movie, like it, yeah. it's literally, it was literally like not even the right kind of voiceover guy. Bad, bad graphics. It was like in the <laughs> end, it's the size of your heart that matters. It was almost like they got this great cast. Like, okay, we got this great cast. We have, uh, you know, Gary Oldman and Matthew McConaughey and Kate Beckinsale, Peter Dinklage. It's gonna be amazing. Uh, oh, I also got the guys who did the trailer for Mac and Me, so they're gonna do the trailer. And uh, <laughs> like. Wait, what was that last part? Yeah, yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. We'll save a ton well, of money. Well, I think that they probably at that point realized that the movie was crazy <laughs> and no one would ever see it, but they were contractually obligated to cut a trailer for it, so they, they did not put a lot of work And you, it. I dare you to keep Gary Oldman from an acting challenge like playing a little person. I fucking I'm dare you. Gar- I'm not faulting Gary no, Oldman. No, that was like the royal you. Oh, okay. Well, royal thank- you? Well, really. I answered to the royal you as well. <laughs> <laughs> I meant the collective the and personal you is the, what you meant. That's what I meant. You, everyone in the world. All right, now here's the I thing. I meant the royal you because I really only want uh, uh, debutantes and royals. Uh, it should. I bet you. I will bet you uh, uh, a thousand uh, Westerosian gold dragons. Okay. That there is a version of that script where Ra's al Ghul. On tiptoes? Yeah. <laughs> where Ra's al Ghul. Ra's al Ghul is in tiptoes. <laughs> No, I'm still on Batman Begins. Okay, let's go. Where Rash Al Ghul uh, is, uh, is specifically targeting the Wayne Corporation and is going to symbolically destroy the Wayne Corporation and the whole city is just collateral damage because they're making weapons. But see, that's why you need to see Dark Knight Rises. But do I? Yes, because... does it is it, is, is, is it explained? Well, some of the things you're saying... Are 
things. Are you afraid of uh, spoiling yes! me or the world? You. Everyone, everyone well, else has look, seen it. I'm a, uh, look, I'm a middle-aged man with children. I'm going to see this movie in about five years. <laughs> so you might as well just let it, let it out because I am, I, am, I am curious. But what does is, what is he solve by destroying just the Wayne Corporation? He doesn't have Vengeance a... because he is a spirit of vengeance. But he doesn't have a beef with... He doesn't. The beef. We don't know what his beef is. All we know is that his wife died at some point. His wife was taken from me. Do they answer that question? Do they answer that mystery? He wants, but he wants. Rutger Hauer is using the Wayne Corporation to make terrible weapons all around. I mean, that would be a a cliche, but at least one that made sense that Ra's al Ghul, having lost the most, the person who's closest to him due to a Wayne industry invention, turning the tables and trying to destroy the people who took his wife away from him. They're putting flowers in our water. What's that? They're putting flowers in the water. What? It's basically the water. The flower. The fear. The, the, the fear flower. The, oh, the fear, fear flower. flower. Right. Yeah. Um. I guess that's true. I guess he could. But I don't. I don't think his beef was. He doesn't. He his beef isn't really with Bruce Wayne. It's, it's because he's he's trying and to, how and how and how insidiously wonderful it would be to use the son of Thomas Wayne to destroy that very that very corporation. But then that doesn't solve the crime problem. No, the crime problem was never important to him. Because what he's saying is, the beginning of that movie is like, when you're tired of fighting petty thieves and you want to deal with some big crimes, come and see me. Well, you know that that's the equivalent of someone on the internet saying, the real crime is the corporations raping the earth. Right. Do you know what I mean? That's what, that's what, I bet you, a thousand gold dragons. That was a good um, kind of new age hippie um, moderator voice. <laughs> the real thank crime. Thank you very much. I went to college in the 90s. I know what it sounds like. <laughs> and Birkenstocks. Well, we've gone far afield here, Chris. We have. And now, now, you've got me, now you've got me thinking about this. I guess it is now, a look, good you, point. You live, you live here in Los Angeles. And but you're, I just, you're at the white hot center of this nerd community. I, just, I guess I just suspended and my I'm not disbelief. Saying, I'm not saying that. I, well, But see, that's the thing. That was the one. I obviously suspended disbelief. I mean, those are great movies, but you, and I, you know, and I, I utterly. Whenever I, whenever I watch a comic I totally, movie, I totally disbelieve that a dude can jump off a building and float to Earth because his cape can turn into a rigid structure. No, that happens. Mm-hmm. They can run a pulse through the material, and then it hardens, and then he just rides an up current. Oh, okay. Oh, he catches a thermal all the way down. <laughs> he catches a thermal, <laughs> but that was. I'm just saying that that was the moment. And it's just because I just saw the movie again, and it really. Like it's just one of those things that eats away at me because that was one of the moments. I was like, "Wait, what? What? Why?" Now I gotta watch it again and see if I agree with you, because I I haven't seen it. I haven't seen the first one, and and I think part of Batman Begins for me was was like finally, you know, we had been through so many glossy codpiece, yeah, snarky, non Dark Knight, non Dark Knight Batman, where it's like, wait, Batman's quippy now? What the fuck? You know that. I just didn't even think to question it before, but now that you say that, now I think I got to go back and watch it again. Well, I'm glad that you're that you know he's going to make a little bit more money. Just know that the energy that I w- I'm going to spend watching Batman Begins to test his theory would have gone to watching a man and his dog, a boy and his dog. Well, I have the older version of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> you have the sequel. I have the NC seventeen version. I have dog. the NC seventeen version. A man and his dog here. <laughs> <laughs> a 
man, a boy and his dog too. A man and his dog year. Well, this has been an absolute. I always love. Uh, I'm sorry to. I'm sorry to raise hard questions at the end of the podcast. It's a good question though. I just never. I guess I'm an idiot because I never question it. Whenever I watch a comic movie, I always go. Well, it's a comic movie. Everyone's going to be more attractive. Uh, there are going to be things that are relatively improbable, and there's going to be a villain that has some what sort I of a grand, about a grand those, scheme. What I appreciated about those movies was that the, was their realism, and even though there was some bogus pseudoscience, they they did me the dignity of suggesting why a guy who was trained as a ninja would be trying to fight while wearing a cape. The beautiful, the most beautiful moment in 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 Incredibles is where Edna Mode says, "Why yes. would you wear a cape?" It's so. It's, it was such I mean? a brilliant. That was like watching stand-up. That was like Brad Bird's stand-up yeah. for superheroes wearing capes. Um, and so I liked I liked the fact that they were trying to essentially place this ridiculous, like it's a thought experiment. How do you take the most ridiculous figure and insert him into the actual world and have it make sense? And they did, and he did, both of those guys, Goyer and uh, uh, the director, Nolan. Uh, Chris Nolan, and, and, the, and the brother, little Nolan. Nolan Ryan. Little, little, we, yeah. Will Nolan Ryan, they did an amazing job doing that, and the idea of basically making the, the second one you know, sort of like making a comic book version of The Godfather, like yeah, please more. Yeah, but there is that one moment where it's just like, well, I have to destroy Gotham City because it's bad. It's like that's not realistic at all. <laughs> <laughs> that, plan, are, that plan are, makes no sense. You are one tough customer. I am. I'm. The, I am a tough customer. But I bet you did like Lex Luthor's, Luthor's plan to sink California and have all the beachfront property of Nevada. That makes sense. That does make sense. From a capitalist point of view, it's that makes a, a lot of sense. It's a dumb, dumb thing, but yeah, it makes sense. It's, it's, yeah, the villain has to make sense, don't you think? Not always, because the villain, the villain's, I mean, part of what makes him a villain is that he has gone down a weird path at some point. He has diverged at some point. To become a supervillain yeah. is to sort of become a politician in the villain world, and anyone who becomes a politician is slightly broken inside. Yes, and they have weird views, right, of how things should be, and these kind of macro solutions to problems. And so, I guess to you know, I just wrote it off to like comic book villain. Of course, he wants to destroy the city. Speaking of broken politicians, you know what makes me sort of sad? Um, a, a kitten uh, um, with a bandage on its a paw. A YouTube video of a kitten being given heroin. <laughs> But second, <laughs> Mitt Romney makes me a little sad. Does he? The guy must be the least self-aware human being on earth. I don't. I don't think that there. Nothing in him suggests that he has ever looked inward for a second in his life, <laughs> and not immediately written it off as a terrible weakness. <laughs> there is. Well, you could not people... ask him why he wanted to be president because he clearly had no idea himself, and he is not president. And the thing is, it would have been a historic presidency, because not only would he have been the first Mormon president. The first white president, too, right? The first white president, mm -hmm. and also the first president who, after his administration, could portray his own audio-animatronic dub double <laughs> in the Disney World <laughs> Hall of Presidents. And there, at last, he would feel comfortable for the first time in his life, in his own rubbery skin. That's probably the biggest loss I know, for him. right? Because, I mean, what is a presidential election all about, except... You know what we're going to do? Making a sociopathic narcissist feel better about himself. In Gibsonvania, we're going to build the Hall of Almost Presidents. <laughs> Gibsonvania. <laughs> we'll put Walter Mondale. I don't think Mondale, I don't think Gibson will allow Mondale to be in Gibsonvania. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. We'll put Dewey. Yeah. Speaking of science fiction 
and, and and we'll just close on this. Sure. We're talking. We're joking about Gibson Vania. Yeah. At, you know, Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> have you read Atlas Shrugged? <laughs> the Ayn Rand book. Yeah. Yeah. When I was in college, and you, had, was like, you had to have read it. You got to read the Fountainhead. You got to read Atlas. Because you're because you're because you're a tyrant of industry. You're an Tyr- una- you're, an, you're tyr- an unapologetic emperor of industry. Tyrannical. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I like. I first of all. You know, you talk about bullying Elliot. Yeah. I like to bully masses of people. Sure. Because it's that many times more satisfying. Yes. If you can knock uh, an action figure off society's desk. Exactly so. So there you, you know how much I sympathize with the tyrants. But I'm so I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited now that Romney has left that people are actually going galt. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, okay, you want to... <laughs> Run yourself out of business, Papa John's, mm. out of spite. <laughs> there any... Fine, that's okay, fine. Sure, me. why? Oh, fine, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, really? Applebee's? You're going to make it harder for me to eat at an Applebee's because <laughs> you're mad at the president? Okay. And nope, let's... That's not a problem. You know, the like, other thing... what, what is the food court going to look like in Galt's Gulch? Are drunk people really at three o'clock in the morning going to be like, I'm not going to pay 50 more cents for that pizza? <laughs> <laughs> Fifty more cents? What the fuck? <laughs> That'll show Obama. I'm gonna go to bed hungry and drunk. Fuck you, Mr. President. Uh, if only it gets to that point and the world doesn't end. Uh oh. Up. Oh, well. They're barricading the doors again. Oh, I forgot to tell you, we're in Dark City and the buildings shift every night. Oh, boy, that's one I haven't seen in a long time. Good movie. Also, creepy pale uh, overlords. Who did, was that? Christopher Nolan? That was not Christopher Nolan. No, Shit, you I... can't look it up. Oh wow. Sleep now. No, you can't look it up either. Sleep now. Good movie. Wait a minute. Holds up in my opinion. Rufus Sewell, Jennifer Connelly. I did not direct it. I know you know all these people. Kiefer Sutherland. Did not direct it. Did not direct it. It's someone. You know who it is? It's the guy who directed The Crow. Alex Proyas. Oh. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. (laughs) I kicked the chair. (laughs) <laughs> he really laughed. <laughughs> he really laughed. <laughs> uh, enjoy, enjoy your burritos, everybody. <laughs> Look who's come sheepishly crawling back in after spiking the microphone. It's slightly raining outside. <laughs> oh, I don't want you to get partially wet. What a pleasure, as always. It's good to see you, All right, John let's, get, let's do this again soon. Uh, we will do this as hey, many Hey, can I just say this? Yeah. Uh, the audiobook of That Is All featuring prominent Ragnarok denier Elliot Kalin, as well as John Hamm, Patton Oswalt, Sarah Vowell, John Roderick, John Darneal, Cynthia Hopkins, Jonathan Colton, Wyatt Snack, Rachel Maddow, Stephen Fry. Chris Hardwick. Chris Hardwick. It's not in the book. You, sh- you ought to have been. And no, wait a minute. What? And Chris Hardwick as the voice of George Plimpton yeah. in in the in the replicated ad of George Plimpton's video Falconry is in the audiobook. Pitch. And I got, and I did not pay you any money for it. I was happy to do it. Oh, one last thing, just a little PS, a little postscript. Can I say yeah, this? Please. So yeah. all you people know that I'm a big joker, right? I'm a famous jokester. Yeah. I'm like Mel Gibson. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, hey, I wouldn't know if I would I'm, fam- I'm famous for my pranks. <laughs> yes. And my, my my light tone on set. Yep. Yeah. And my and my love of uh, Jodie Foster. Yep. My my tragic love of Jodie Foster that shall never be returned. Oh, you should. Oh, I hope you two work it out. Oh well. Anyway, 
So I'm a big jokester, and uh, I made a joke one time on my podcast, the Judge Sean Hodgman podcast, yep. about a product called George Plimpton Video Falconry. A product that does not exist. <laughs> Which is too bad. But I discussed... Sort of does now. Well, that's the thing. So I discussed my love of this early 80s uh, 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 in television game called George Plimpton... No, ColecoVision game, excuse mm-hmm. me, called George Plimpton Video Falconry, which was a George Plimpton-hosted video game about falconry and uh and people enjoyed this joke which was good and you you get to steer the bird right well there, and there were you could unlock special moves uh by certain combinations of up down left right beat grab beat grab beat grab pitch, pitch yaw, yaw. <laughs> pitch yaw. <laughs> thank you beat grab. beat grab talon snatch pitch yaw and then you would unlock a special code or something but anyway uh, so the company Newgrounds, which makes uh, yes. video games for the internet, uh, commissioned a, uh, a a television ad uh, for this non-existent video game that looked like it was made in the early '80s. And Chris Hardwick, to my uh, without my knowledge, but to my great delight, voiced George Plimpton as the narrator of this and at I, Jesse Thorne's house. At Jesse Thorne's house, and you do an amazing George Plimpton impersonation. <laughs> Thank you. Let's hear a little right now. I mean, I need to put you on the spot. I know you need to work into it for a little while. Hi, I'm George Plimpton. Yeah, what do you guys uh, want to go to Five Guys or what I'm do you George have Plimpton, and this is v- George bit. Plimpton, and this is a video <laughs> falconry. That's it. I met George Plimpton. That's how he actually spoke. You go. I'm George Plimpton. Now I shall try. Go immediately into Charlie Brown teacher language. time. Just sort of Harvardy upper class mumbles. Yeah. Anyway, so and then they made the video game itself, which you could play online. Go to Newgrounds.com. You can play it. Mm-hmm. And then they made a T-shirt of of the game mm-hmm. that I w- that was given to me as a as a gift by them when I was in State College, Pennsylvania, doing comedy for jocks. <laughs> that uh, it was a weird scene. Then I've never been on a college campus with more incipient violence all the time in my life. But and I went to Yale. <laughs> but then, well, there's no yell. There's no yell at violence. It's just bitter resentment. But sure. then, I wore that T-shirt to a wedding. And at that wedding, uh, it was uh, the day I'm not, I was not didn't go to the oh, service. Okay. Event, That'd be weird. It was a, it was a destination wedding. The next morning, we're all saying goodbye to every to uh, to the fellow guests, whatever. I'm wearing this T-shirt. A fellow guest, a uh, a, a, a a well-known and incredibly intelligent and sweet movie director, whom I will not name, looked at my T-shirt and said, "I remember that game." <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. He said, "I that's funny. That's that was a weird game. I can't believe that game was made." I said, "You remember the the YouTube video?" Yeah, yeah, no, no. And I remember seeing that commercial when I was a kid. Oh. Now, I will not name this movie director, but of his course. name is Leon Critch. He directed Toy Story 3. <laughs> he is he is a friend. And uh and he and he and I now know that I can, if I wished, control his mind. Yes, by creating things that form his reality. Exactly so. So You're like um you're like recall industries. Your t shirts give people the memories of things that they Are you talking about the remake? No. Did you, did anyone see that movie? I don't the remake of it. I think Colin Farrell saw it. I it's so sad. He's such a good actor. Too. Amazing. You know I, mean, I mean, I don't have to tell you how much we've we've slobbered all over in Bruges on this fucking podcast. Oh, I was just going to go into a whole movie. in Bruges thing, but now he's and I got and covered. I really liked. I really liked. Um, I I've liked a lot of. The, I liked a lot of the stuff that he's done. I really do. I thought I thought Fright Night was a fun remake too. 
Well, there's no better way to end a podcast than petering out on some praise with Colin Farrell. No, oh, sir, Colin Farrell. When I was Colin Farrell. Man, I liked him in the... You know, he wasn't the worst thing about Daredevil. I'm George Plimpton with Colin Farrell Podcast. Oh, I have this. I have a really bad um, infestation of Colin Farrell cats behind my house. So they're just really sexy, drunk cats. How dare you? <laughs> that... How dare you? You go near them and they just, they try to, like, you get away, you can't, like, they just, you know. I, I don't live in this city. I came here for this and you're giving me Colin Farrell cats. <laughs> take them. How or, dare you? Take them or leave them, my friend. <laughs> uh, please, take these Colin Farrell cats. Alex Proyas, motherfuckers. Bye. Damn. <laughs> now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Welcome to Pura, the most pristine, safe, climate-stable city on Earth. A haven amidst the wreckage. Here, you're safe from heat domes, superstorms, water bandits in the outer lands. There's no crime in Pura. No murder, no suicide. And best of all, there's no cost to join us. In Pura, we promise to keep you safe. They killed her! You took everything! In a world that doesn't feel so safe anymore, we're waiting for you. Here, in Pura. The Last City is a new scripted audio drama from Wondery. Enjoy The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City right now, ad-free, on Wondery Plus. Get started with your free trial at wondery.com slash plus.